Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. And welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. I'm so excited to be hanging out with you again this week. And today's episode, we're talking all about lactation support in the hospital. Now, you may have heard that your hospital provides lactation support, but I urge you to ask more questions. I know, I know, I'm always asking you to ask more questions, but this time it's actually pretty crucial because because lactation support in hospitals varies so widely depending on the facility that you give birth at. Now, your hospital may have lactation trained nurses, they may have IBCLCs on staff, or they may have a combination of both, meaning that some days of the week there are IBCLCs on staff that can come and service you, and then some days of the week you will actually only have access to nurses that are trained in lactation. One other thing that our team commonly hears is that the lactation support in hospitals is maybe not aligned with your goals or we often hear people expressing stories where the lactation consultant in the hospital was really rough with them or didn't truly hear their goals and instead pushed only a specific agenda. Sometimes that is breastfeeding only. Sometimes that is you need to introduce formula. Regardless, your lactation support should be checking in with you about your priorities, about your preferences and really aligning themselves and the recommendations to the goals that you have for your baby and your family. I'm so excited to have on my guest today, Lo Negrash, who is a IBCLC and provides private lactation services. We're going to be talking today about the differences between hospital-based, so hospital-provided lactation services, and private lactation services. Not only the difference, but how those two can actually work in conjunction with one another to provide you with the best lactation support 
possible so that you can reach your goals when it comes to feeding that tiny human. Now you all know that I'm very particular on the guests that I have on our show because I want to make sure that I'm bringing on guests that truly prioritize you and and just like me and my team and what we do in the birth lounge of giving you the options and then also giving you the freedom to choose what feels best to you. I love Lo because she focuses on helping every client feel proud of every ounce that they make and to recognize each hurdle that they unfairly face. She's also the host of the Milk Making Minutes podcast, which I was so lucky to be a guest on episode 152. You can hear us talk about what you need to know about breastfeeding and preparing for birth prenatally. Lo helps every one of her clients explore baby feeding struggles and triumphs through the lens of systemic medical and cultural barriers so that you understand that your body didn't fail you and what your successes really are. So without further ado, Lo, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited to have you. I think this is a conversation that, you know, a lot of people do know about IVCLC support. I think a lot of people know about lactation support, um, but I think there's a lot of confusion around when should we seek the support out? I think there's a lot of confusion thinking that all IBCLC support is created equal, and it's not. I also know that, and this is just because we attend labors all over the U.S., but depending on where you live, like regionally in our country, really determines how much lactation and feeding support that you have access to. Um, So Mm -hmm. I'm really, really excited to dive into today's conversation. And I hope that at the end of this, people will understand the difference between hospital-based lactation support and that private one-to-one, you know, created for you an individualized plan for you and your baby type of lactation support. And not only how they're different, but how they can actually work in conjunction with one another. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we dive into that, who is Lo? Who's here with Mm -hmm. us today outside of your formal training and, and your formal introduction? Who's really behind the microphone with us? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be having this conversation. So I'm Lo Nigrosh, and I really came to this work through my own really difficult breastfeeding experiences. I have two kids. My oldest is nine and a half, and my youngest is about to be six. And I breastfed both of them for a really long time. My oldest for about three and a half years. I was pregnant when I finally stopped and then my youngest for about four and a half years. So you hear that and you think, oh, it must have been blissful if I was able to go that long. But actually, I was in pain the entire time with my oldest. And All four I, and a half years? With three and a half for him. Yes, basically. <gasps> and... I always have to tell people I never expect anyone to make that decision. I always ask people to check in with themselves and decide what is best for their own family, for their own mental health, for their own well-being. Because for me, even looking back, even with all the training I have now, I still believe I made the right decision for my own mental health, but I know I always 
help my clients to look inward and say, what do I need to do? Is it better for me to keep going despite the difficulty? Or is it better for me to change my plan? And for each person that is different. So for me, it was better to keep going despite the difficulty. And I sought out lots of help. I saw many IBCLCs. I saw IBCLCs that were also MDs. I saw chiropractors. I saw craniosacral therapists. I saw ENTs, pediatric dentists. My son had four tongue tie releases, but 10 years ago, we didn't know everything we know now about everything you can do to strengthen the tongue and to improve tongue movement and airway in addition to just having the procedure done. And so, you know, to this day, he still wakes up twice a night as a nine-year-old. And I'm now thinking, oh, what should I be doing? Because with my professional training now, I help all these families to improve their children's tongue strength as babies. And now I have this nine-year-old who probably needs to improve his own tongue strength, but we're so far down the line that, you know, he has a lot of opinions about what he wants done with his body. So, (laughs) you know, it's a lot harder to do when they're older. That autonomy. (laughs) Right. I know. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I always say that often you hear that people come to this profession either through their own magical, blissful experiences or through their own experiences of struggle. Mm. And for me, it was that second camp. I just thought, wow, I never knew it would be this hard. I wanted to breastfeed so badly and I had to work so hard to do it. And then I became aware of all the barriers that make feeding our babies so difficult And that's really what my practice is based in is helping to people, helping people to understand that the difficulties that you face are not your fault. And every ounce that you make for your baby is something to be celebrated, given all the medical and systemic barriers that you faced to get where you are. That's beautiful. Oh my gosh. I love it so much when our guests come on and just like without even knowing it, explain exactly why they're perfect for this podcast. It just like makes me feel so happy. That's just so in alignment with, I think, everything that Tranquility by Hee Hee and the Birthland stands for. It it is, here are your options. Here are the choices you can make. Here are the tools that you have. Here are the really, really great ones. Here are the really shitty ones. Mm -hmm. How do you want to do this? Where do you want to take this? What tools Mm -hmm. feel good to you? And what are your goals? And you're allowed to pivot kind of anywhere along there, you know, to support the things that you just mentioned, that family dynamic, your mental health, your well-being, your physical health, whatever it may be. Okay, so in terms of lactation support, talk to us about the benefits of seeking out an IBCLC specifically, because there are lactation trained professionals, there are pediatricians who have lactation training, there are CLCs, but mm-hmm. why an IBCLC specifically and or are there stepping stones you should use before you get to an IBCLC and IBCLCs really are reserved for certain type of complications or certain type of situations? How do we know if an IBCLC is right for us, I guess, is the question. 
Mm-hmm. And IBCLC is never going to be wrong mm. for you. So you can always seek out an IBCLC given your feeding situation. And IBCLCs help with breastfeeding. We help with pumping support. We help with bottle feeding support. Now we get to choose what we want to specialize in. So mm. it's really important if you are not getting a good vibe from an IBCLC, like if you're telling an IBCLC, I want to exclusively pump and they are discouraging you from that. If they're saying, oh, that's going to be so hard. It's, you know, it's not as good for the baby. You're not going to get the same hormonal response. It's much harder than breastfeeding. Well, right off the bat, she's discouraging you from the goal that you have told her you have set for your family. She might not know why you want to exclusively pump. You might have trauma in your background and might not want somebody suckling at your breast. You might not have trauma and you just know that for you, exclusively pumping is going to work out better for your family. And that plan might change down the line. But if somebody says to me, they want to exclusively pump and you know what, five years ago, I used to be somebody who would kind of try to dissuade somebody from exclusively pumping until I checked my bias. I learned that I had a bias. I was taught by exclusive pumpers that it wasn't okay for me to have that bias. And I learned better and now I do better. And, and I dove into learning the material on how to help exclusive pumpers. And so now I feel like I can say to people that I specialize in helping with pumping. And so if you're getting that vibe from somebody, if you say to them, I want help with exclusive pumping and they're discouraging you from that, then find another provider. The same that you do in any situation when you get a bad vibe from somebody. So I think you have choices and that's why I think it's important to seek out private practice IBCLCs and to call a few and let them know what your goals are and what you're looking for. If you think your baby is suffering from allergies or from tongue tie and you don't feel listened to, if they just take a quick look in the baby's mouth or listen briefly and say, no, I don't think that's what it is, but don't give you other answers. If you say, then what do you think it is? And you don't get a satisfactory answer, then that might not be the right provider for you. And so then you find somebody who takes your concerns seriously and tries to help you navigate whatever situation you're looking for help in. And if you can virtually, because I try to practice as much as I can hands off not touching the parent and the baby. So a lot of what I can do can be done virtually because I do my best not to be hands on. And then if I'm working with a parent virtually, and then I decide, you know what, you really could use some hands-on help. Then I try to connect them with somebody in their area through my networks that I have built that they can get hands-on help with. Gosh, I love that. Okay, tell people where you are. Where can people, I know virtually anybody can work with you, but if they want to do mm -hmm. in-person, where are you? 
I'm in rural central Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I see people in central Massachusetts and western Massachusetts and then in southern New Hampshire and Vermont. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Lo, well, I love what you were saying about if you're not jiving with your IBCLC, find another one. Go get a second opinion. Go get a third opinion. Go get a fourth opinion. Now, of course, that gets costly. Talk to us about insurance coverage when it comes to IBCLC support. I know everybody is entitled to a breast pump through their insurance. Do we see that same support and kind of reciprocity when it comes to coverage of lactation services? Yeah, I actually just, so I have a podcast too called the Milk Making Minutes and I just released an episode about this. I don't remember the number, but I'm sure you could link it in the show notes. I'll, yeah, I'll we will. For you. <laughs> so the law, the Affordable Care Act dictates that all insurance companies need to provide lactation support, but insurance companies find lots of ways to wiggle out of this. So technically, all insurance companies should provide lactation support, but in reality, that's not how it plays out. Is there anything we can do um, as consumers to like get around those loopholes or to actually hold them accountable and say, no, you do need to pay for this? I will say that I do take a lot of insurance. One way that you can see... Th- So many people are able to get coverage through the lactation network and they kind of serve as an intermediary between IBCLCs and people who need coverage. So they are the biller and then they are the provider with the NPI. So we don't use our NPI numbers, which is the national provider number. So we aren't billing ourselves. It is the lactation network that does, and then they connect patients with IBCLCs. So they are in network with a good handful of insurance companies. So you can always start there. You submit your insurance information, and then they tell you whether or not you're in network, and then they find an IBCLC for you and connect you in your area. That's amazing. Okay. And that's just a website online, just like Mm -hmm. the lactation network. Someone can Google Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. 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 And then zipmilk.org, they are in 15 states. So you can check there to find an IBCLC and then IBCLCs on zipmilk.org will usually list what insurance companies they can bill. And then you can always call your insurance company to see who are their list of providers because they do have to have a list of providers. But what you want to look for is, is the list of providers, are they actually IBCLCs? Because some of the insurance companies just list like doctors and nurse practitioners. So those people are billing the codes, but they aren't actually trained in lactation. Yeah. You just talked about this on your Instagram and I wrote in and said, isn't this fraudulent? Because it feels fraudulent to be using lactation codes to bill when you A, do not have the training, B, are not able to provide the information and C, the, the information you are providing you know, I think someone in the comments had mentioned a lot of times it's inaccurate. It's actually not correct information. So that feels fraudulent to me. So the difficulty is pediatricians are considered experts in all things baby and children, and they are in many ways. I always tell people, I don't want to 
erode the relationship between Never. parents and their pediatricians. Never. And right. So it's a balancing act because pediatricians have a vast amount of knowledge, a wide breadth of knowledge from the time the baby is born until they graduate from high school and beyond. That is very valuable for parents. I love my kids' providers. I actually go to a family practice. So pediatricians and family doctors have so much knowledge. But in medical school, the reason they can bill is because they do get some breastfeeding education in medical school. But it amounts to about three hours every year of medical school. So that's a total of nine hours. And IBCLCs, we have 95 hours of breastfeeding specific education. And then every five years we have to recertify and we have to show, I believe it's 75 hours of continuing education. So that's a, that's a, that's a vast difference. And the, the three hours per year of breastfeeding education isn't actually, I'm actually reading a book right now called what doctors don't know about breastfeeding by a doctor, Dr. Jack Newman, who runs a famous breastfeeding clinic in Canada. He's also an IBCLC and a breastfeeding expert. And you're nodding your head like, yes, yes, I know. I love I'm, Jack Newman. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And he just wrote this new book with somebody else whose name I'm forgetting right now. He goes into great detail about what the breastfeeding education for medical doctors is. And most of it talks about it. It's like three slides essentially. And then the rest of it talks about formula feeding and the various types of formula. And a lot of it is sponsored by formula companies. So Unless pediatricians are seeking out additional training on their own because they're interested in it. So you can ask your pediatrician, you know, what their breastfeeding education is. You're probably not going to get advice that is correct when it comes to human milk feeding. And th the difficulty is they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. So th they often don't refer out because they don't understand the complexities and they don't know what they're, they're missing when it wow. comes to the information that they're sharing. So I once had a pediatrician tell me, she was a very good friend. She is a very good friend. I know sick children, but I don't really know well children because I see them one time a year for their well visits. And as long as they check all the box, then they look well to me. But mm -hmm. I don't know necessarily all the intricacies of the developmental milestones. I know about when children should hit them. I know if they're not hitting them, what we should do. I know that it's a spectrum and we shouldn't freak out if they don't hit it on the day. But as far as the little intricacies of well children, that is not my specialty. My wheelhouse is sick children. I'm a pediatrician. And that hit me so deeply. And it mm. really 
shifted the way that I think about and place pediatricians in kind of that network of providers when I help parents put together their network. You want someone Mm -hmm. who knows a sick baby, but you also want somebody who knows a well baby. You want somebody who knows lactation. You want somebody who knows sleep. You want somebody who knows interpersonal relationships. Like you have all of these things, body work, mental health, but your pediatrician, that just helped me I think filter out the appropriate role and it Mm -hmm. shifted so much for me to hear an actual pediatrician say, well, children are not my specialty. People bring their, their kids to me when they're sick and I can make them better, but nobody brings me their well children because they don't need me. And I was like, wow, that is, that is so, so powerful. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we talked about coverage of that private one-to-one in-home support. What about hospital lactation? A, how does it differ from that in-home? This may be a different question. Let's start with, is that covered in the hospital? So if we get seen by IBCLC lactation support in the hospital, are we paying for it additionally outside of what we would already pay for our birth and delivery services, or is it included in our hospital stay? And I'm talking about in those initial days when you're still in the hospital, not you know a support group that's run by your hospital, not coming back after you guys have been discharged and coming to see lactation, but right when we're in the hospital after our baby, is all of that included? Well, so you'll probably, my guess is, when you look at if you were to get take your bill for your hospital stay and you were to get a list of all the codes that get billed, you know how sometimes mm-hmm. somebody looks at their entire bill and they're like, what, you know, $30 for a Band-Aid, you know, and and they look at all the codes. I bet when the IBCLC pops in and says, how are things going? You know, and you say, oh, fine, he's sleeping right now, that there would be, if the IBCLC charts that, then there would be a a code that Mm -hmm. indicates that there was a lactation visit. Mm -hmm. But the way it works is those are not private practice IBCLC. So they're just getting paid by the hour or depending, you know, a salary And so they're not doing that billing. There's some biller at the hospital who's doing that billing. Got it. Okay. So what's the difference between hospital IBCLC support and that private one-to-one IBCLC support? Yeah. So the first thing is that a lot of the lactation support you're getting at the hospital is from the nursing staff. And There are studies that show that, again, getting back to the biases, there are some nurses that have really great bedside manner. They're really great at supporting all families, regardless of their feeding plan. And they've learned to recognize their own biases and be able to help families regardless. And then there are nurses who don't even admit that they have biases and they are they are not providing the best care to families and don't know what they don't know when it comes to lactation so there are studies that show that with doctors and nurses 
and this goes to the pediatricians as well, that their own personal experiences with baby feeding impact the care that they provide to their patients. And that is the experiences they've had on the floor and also their own experiences with their families. So if they have had positive baby feeding experiences and they see lots of patients who positively are able to breastfeed, then they will encourage breastfeeding more. And if they themselves were able to breastfeed, then they will encourage patients to do that. But if they see time and time again, that families start supplementing really soon and that milk doesn't come in as quickly as what they would like to see at the hospital setting or that they themselves, you know, formula fed, then they will start to encourage that in their patients more quickly. So and that's the first thing. How much would you say the hospital floor culture, meaning the culture on the L&D unit impacts this? Would you say that you go into hospitals and it's kind of like a culture where we just give everybody formula or it's kind of the culture we just encourage everybody to start out with breastfeeding and if you want to pivot from that, or does it really come down to like, it's kind of hit or miss with whatever nurse you get that day? Well, I think the hospitals really do try as far as initiation to do, and and this is going to vary widely, but mm. they really do try to do what the parents want. But I, I think the difficulty lies is in, you know, most parents are wanting to initiate breastfeeding, but then when say baby is really sleepy or milk isn't coming in, which by the way, the milk starts developing in the breast between the 14th and 16th week of pregnancy. So there is colostrum in your breasts during pregnancy. So the milk is there. So when there, this worry begins to develop that there isn't milk, and as you know, in your work, a lot of things happen during the delivery in hospitals and the hospital setting itself can be so stressful that these milk delays and the inability for, of the milk to release in the first couple of days can, is often impacted by the birth experience and the birth setting. And so then there becomes this cycle of parents getting worried that baby isn't getting enough. And then the hospital pressuring parents to produce and setting parents up on pumps, which by the way, nobody has the right flange size in the hospital and they don't even offer the right flange sizes. And so then they're seeing nothing in the pump and then they think, okay, I don't have milk. And then the supplementation starts. And then there's this, you know, it's just, you see so much worry about supply happening so early on. And it just becomes an environment filled with stress. And when stress hormones are cursed, are coursing through your body, milk releasing hormones cannot. So it, it's kind of this vicious cycle that's hard to get out of. Man. So the environment in and of itself makes it difficult for families to just relax into the experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it gets exacerbated by the pressure to feed the baby. 
It is a vicious cycle. It's almost mm. like nothing in women's health is untouched by the broken system, right? Mm. It like seeps into every part. Okay. What's number two? What's the second difference? Yeah. So then the second thing is some hospitals have IBCLCs and some hospitals don't. So IBCLC stands for internationally board certified lactation consultant. So in order to become an IBCLC, you need those 95 hours of lactation specific training. You have to have 14 health science credits at a college level. You need anywhere between 300 and a thousand clinical hours. It depends on what your starting place is. So if you're already a health professional, you might need fewer clinical hours, but if you're coming in with no health professional training, then you would need more hours. And then you sit for a board exam in order to show your learning in a variety of areas. And then once you pass the board exam, then you're an IBCLC. So, and then other hospitals have CLCs. There are other credentials as well. CLC is just a brand name. So that's a certified lactation consultant. And I will say that because there aren't, there are two or three like master's level programs where you can become an IBCLC, but they're very expensive and it is hard to become an IBCLC. It takes many years and there's, it's not like you can get loans out to do it. So it's very costly and so, or grants or anything. And so there is a barrier to becoming an IBCLC, which is why you see a lot of like kind of middle socioeconomic to to upper socioeconomic white women who are IBCLCs. And so I don't want to knock people who are not IBCLCs because I have known people with other credentials who have a lot of experience in the field who are very good at what they do, but they just have not had the time or the money to get the IBCLC credential. However, the IBCLC credential is a way to show families that the person has put in the work. So we don't have a better way of doing that right now. Yeah, um, that's unfortunate. It's not the only way because like you say, there are people out there who don't have the IBCLC credential but are just welts of knowledge, right? They, right, they are right, just right. like deep, deep, deep pockets of knowledge. Yeah. Man, that's too bad. You know, I always feel like we highlight, I mean, we always talk really great topics on the podcast, but somehow we always highlight like disparities that could be fixed. And my brain just kind of spirals into like, how do we fix this? How do we Mm -hmm. um, get better support out there? Okay. So can you talk to us a little bit? I think we got a good understanding of the difference between hospital lactation, if it's available, some hospitals don't have it and private, I would love to hear how they kind of work together. Well, the one other thing I would like to say about the differences is that with hospital care, I hear a lot of people, like I put out a question once on my TikTok, 
I can't remember what it was, but somebody commented on to my question and said, are you even a mom if you've never wanted to punch your IBCLC in the face? And I don't think the person knew I was an IBCLC, but <laughs> I took that to heart because I think a lot of people have had the experience of the IBCLC coming into the hospital room, you know, giving some quick advice, asking a quick question, you know, and then rushing out. And the reason why so many people have had this experience is because an IBCLC might have 13 people she needs to see in an eight hour shift because she's trying to get to everybody who has delivered a baby that day or everybody who's discharging that day, depending on how the hospital works their rotation. And there's no great way of organizing who needs to be seen. She can't always get into the room at the time that you're feeding your baby. So she can't always help you. She can't have a 90 minute visit. Whereas in my private practice, that's about how long I see people. She can't always do a full oral assessment. Sometimes she's bound by hospital policy. We can't even assess for tongue tie in my hospital that I work in just two days a month as a private contractor. So the pediatricians will evaluate. The nurses will evaluate, but they haven't taken specific training in tongue tie and they don't notice the posterior tongue ties. And it's not even about looking in a baby's mouth and saying yes or no, it's a functional assessment. And we're not allowed to refer out to specific providers or specific IBCLCs that we think will do a great job for them given the area that we live in. So we can only refer to, you know, here's zip milk, you can find an IBCLC on this website, because they don't want us to be sending people off to our friends or to, you know, to have biases in that way. And I get it. And also, yep. you know, if we know somebody who's going to provide great care to somebody, I wish that we could say you're going to get great care from this person and they'll accept your insurance and, you know, so, you know, there are some difficulties there. So, you know, IBCLCs in the hospital setting, they are doing, I'm sure of it, the best that they can within a system that is not fully set up to support families. Per usual. That's always yeah. the story. That's mm -hmm. the story everywhere right. in American right. healthcare and, and, you know, specifically women's health. Wow. Okay. So we've got a lot of work to do there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when right. would you say is appropriate for someone to have an IBCLC come out and visit them after they have their baby, regardless of whether they had patient support provided by their hospital or not? Yes, you may have. No, you may not have. When we get home with our babies, should we be contacting you then? Should we wait a week? Should we have you sometime in the first two weeks, first four weeks? Is this something we actually need to set up probably with an IBCLC while we're pregnant and say, here's my due date. Please have me on your calendar. How does that work in terms of just kind of having your network prepared for mm -hmm. when you have your baby? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think you should do the work prenatally to mm. find somebody that you jive with. And you can be searching websites. You can figure out who's in network with your insurance company. Typically, I'll either text back and forth with somebody or have a quick phone call with somebody. I'll talk to somebody for 10 minutes and, you know, and allow them the opportunity to get a feel for who I am as a person and I can get a feel for them and what their goals are. And I think most IBCLCs are happy to do that because it is hard to pick a provider just off of a website. Yeah. So have that set up. And if your insurance will cover the visits, you can do a visit prenatally to help your, to help kind of prepare for what your plan might be as you go into the birth experience. So if you are wanting to exclusively breastfeed and not do any pumping or bottle feeding in the beginning, you can kind of know what are the best practices that are going to help you reach that goal. Or if you are wanting to exclusively pump, how can you set that up and help your providers to know and, and get a phalange fitting in the beginning so that you're using the right phalange size from the beginning and pick a pump that's going to be best for that situation, given your long-term and short-term and medium-term goals. So it's, it's really good to get an individualized plan in the prenatal period. If you do have insurance that covers your, um, lactation, uh, needs. So I do think having a prenatal meeting is great. And many IBCLCs do do prenatal visits. Yeah. That's easily done virtually. Got it. Just a conversation really, because baby's still on the inside and, you know, we don't have, we've got colostrum being made, but we don't have that active milk production as what we kind of all think about it being. So it's really just a conversation, getting your questions out there, maybe going into it with a little bit more confidence and, and kind of a loose plan starting from day one, rather than having those first couple of days and weeks be, you know, a lot of first and twist and turns. And I didn't know this was coming my way. At least you can go in feeling a little bit more prepared and Hey, I knew this was an option. And at least I know kind of where to turn or what to do, or I can text low and she can help me because she did exactly. prepare me. Right. Yeah. And then when it's going to be different for every person. So then once you get home, you might be feeling like, ah, I've got this. It's feeling okay. Or you might be feeling like, oh my gosh, I have so many questions now, or I'm in pain. If you are in pain and you are dreading feeding your baby, don't delay calling Yeah, the lactation. Did you hear that? No. Okay. If you are dreading feeling feeding your baby, don't delay calling the lactation professional. It's, it's only going to put, make the postpartum period harder than it needs to be and make feeding harder than it needs to be and probably make your mental health decline. Yeah, and so it's that's always going to get worse, right? Like yeah, if we're right. continuing to do, and I don't say that to scare you. I, I say that to say, if you're having pain, something's not right. And until right. we fix that something, it's only going to continue to give you pain. So it is only going to compound and make it, I'm like holding my nipples because it like hurts my nipples to think about some of the things I have seen. And people just say like, oh, well, 
you know, the hospital lactation or my nurse or my pediatrician or whatever told me it would get better. And you guys, these things don't just like get better. Seek out some support. Ask a professional to to just come in and give you some help. That way, the sooner we address those problems, the sooner you can feed without pain and the sooner you can get on a better postpartum journey. Lo, I do have a question about something that we've kind of mentioned here and there throughout the episode. You had mentioned that when you were feeding your tots, you sought out help from all these professionals. And then you had mentioned too, you know, interview a couple of different people. Talk to us about the idea of seeing multiple IBCLCs along your journey. How do you decide when it's too much, when it's information overwhelm, when the the opinions and the recommendations and the suggestions are maybe working against each other instead of congruent to one another. I think that's a space that our team finds people sometimes in. Mm. Is there a way that we can prevent that? We can take advantage of all the knowledge and the people and the resources out there without crossing the line of like, oh my God, I've seen 15 people in the last eight weeks and I just feel I'm drowning in information and I don't know who's right. I don't know who's wrong. Everybody's giving me different opinions and, and suggestions and recommendations and I don't know how to navigate this. That is a really great question. Okay, so I will mention in my own experience, first of all, I started out by going back to the IBCLC I saw in the hospital, and then I learned quickly I needed somebody who had more experience outside of a hospital setting. So then I sought out a private practice IBCLC, and then she referred me to an MD who was also an IBCLC so that that person could kind of treat both me and the baby. So those people were all working together. And then what I do with my clients is, first of all, I like to keep the parent in charge. And I build their confidence as the primary decision maker and the person who knows their baby best. And I think in a lot of instances, As parents, we give our power away to providers and tell them and and assume that they know our baby best when it's nobody knows your baby better than you. And so I always, when I am both in person and then when I write my detailed care plan with lots of links and, and resources, I always remind them. These are meant to be helpful for you in making decisions, but at no point do you have to do anything here. You can pick and choose what you think works for your family. I will never feel offended if you do nothing here. So you decide what feels right to try. And if it, if nothing feels right, then we need to come back together and decide why it doesn't feel right. And we need to change course. So the other thing I do is if there seems to be a disagreement between me and another provider, I ask that patient if I can talk to that provider. Yeah. Because I want to work with providers to help a patient. 
Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to feel like a patient feels pulled between two providers that she trusts. I don't ever want to feel like I'm the person saying that person's wrong. Yeah. Trust me. Because that's not how getting care from someone should feel like. So I always offer to send my notes to the pediatrician so they know what I am telling the patient. And when I send it off to the pediatrician, I always say, please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or concerns about these notes. And then if the client ever says, hey, so-and-so is telling me this, I'm feeling confused. I always say I'm happy to have a discussion with the provider with you present or just between the two of us is, you know, do you feel comfortable with that? And that way we can come to, because often talking it out and understand, because sometimes written word, it's just not translating. But if we can have a a conversation and get to know where the other person is coming from, we can often help clear up any misunderstanding and come to a place where the parent can feel good about what both of us are telling her. Nice. Oh my gosh. I love that. It's all about congruent care. And I think, you know, again, finding those providers that you trust and that Mm -hmm. are able to check their biases, not non-biased. Non-biased care doesn't doesn't exist. Go check mm-hmm. out episode, it's either 215 or 216 of the Birth Launch Podcast where I talk about unbiased care does not exist. We all have our biases. But mm-hmm. like you talked about in the beginning, Lo, is it is about checking our bias, recognizing them, understanding them. Where did they come from? Why do I have them? How does it impact my care? And then actively working to change Yes, your bias if you can, but also changing your care to not include your bias or to care for your patients regardless of your bias. And that's Mm -hmm. super hard to do. That is really hard. It takes a lot of self-reflection and introspection and, you know, sometimes grappling with like care that you've given in the past that wasn't the best. And you mentioned that. I think every practitioner has those people in their past where they, they, I don't want to say regret because you did what you did with the best tools that you had at the time, but Mm -hmm. you definitely, every practitioner, every provider has people in their past where they say, if I could redo it, I would do things differently now with the knowledge that I have. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can relate to this because we see people in their homes. Yeah. And they're not coming to me in a clinic setting. I sometimes pull up and I see like political signs out in the yard and I have to stop and like, you know, take a breath and remember that I am here to support this family regardless of their religious or political leanings, you know, and like, I am here to help this family feed their baby. That's it. It doesn't matter you know, where we lean politically, what the religious beliefs are. And, you know, whereas you might see a hat or a t-shirt, you know, in a clinic setting, but it's not like political signs posted everywhere and everywhere you look. And so sometimes I do have to, you know, stop and remember, take a deep breath and remember why I'm here. Yeah. Just remind yourselves that those two don't have any overlap. We have no Mm -hmm. business 
even considering anyone's religion or where they mm-hmm. fall politically when it comes to feeding mm-hmm. their baby, because um, mm-hmm. their baby and, and getting that family off on the right foot is it's the only job that we have. It's, mm-hmm. it's none of our business where they fall anywhere else. I love that. Okay, so Lo, this has been amazing. I think you have laid out beautifully what hospital IV CLC and lactation support looks like what that private one-to-one care looks like, how we can access those services, what kind of, you know, insurance or financial coverage we have, may have, could have, call about that. And then also how those two things work kind of congruently together. If people wanted to work with you, where can they connect with you both professionally and then on social media as well? Yeah. So I love to work with people all across the country. So I can do virtual visits everywhere and I take lots of insurance companies. So you can reach out to me at www.quabinbirthservices.com. It's a regional name. So just we'll link it. it. We'll link it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I am, I think I'm low Nigrosh underscore IBCLC on Instagram. And I'm also on TikTok. I'll send you the links. I ask lots of fun questions on TikTok and get people's responses. You know, things like how many different pieces of advice did you get that contradicted each other while in the hospital during your postpartum care? I think that was the question I asked when someone said, if you're not a, if you're, are you really a mom? If you didn't want to punch your IBCLC in the face, you know, so I asked lots of questions like that on TikTok. And then I do have a podcast. It's called The Milk Making Minutes, and it explores baby feeding struggles and triumphs through the lens of systemic medical and cultural barriers. Nice. So I have two episodes a week. One really shares people's baby feeding experiences. And then a second episode a week is usually shorter and goes over some sort of educational topic. Sometimes it's just me and sometimes it's a guest and you will be a guest. Yay! I'm yeah. so excited. Mm-hmm. All right. This has been so much fun. I think IBCLT support is something that every family needs, even if things are going right. And I know that sounds so counterintuitive. Why would I have an IBCLC come out if things are going right? Just to have that extra support, just to have someone truly come out and confirm, yep, things are going right. Somebody that may be able to take a routine that's going really right and make it even easier or even more right or take out a few steps and you're like, oh my God, I have an extra seven minutes now, which doesn't seem like a lot. But when you have a new baby, seven minutes feels like eternity, you know? We can we can help make the the daily livings with a newborn easier, but a lot of times it requires you letting us in. And I know that can be really hard in postpartum. It can be really hard to ask for help. It can be really hard to think about a stranger coming to your home. But I I love what Lo said is interview a couple people, find somebody who's really your jam, find somebody who you feel comfortable with, you feel safe with, who understands your goals and who's going to meet you where you're at and be happy to pivot alongside you mm-hmm. when you're ready to pivot. Give you that truly, you know, not unbiased, but checked my own bias type of care because that's what you deserve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. 
Well, all right, you guys. Thanks so much for hanging out with Lo and I today. This has been so much fun. It's always fun hanging out with you guys. I will see you next week. Until then, bye. Hey, before you go, I wanted to let you know that the doors to the Birth Lounge are officially open. You can join the Birth Lounge at thebirthlounge.com to find the best childbirth education on the internet. It is comprehensive care. There is no agenda. I'm truly stepping you through any birth plan that you want to make, whatever feels good to you, because my goal is not to help you have one type of birth over the other. Instead, I want to help you have a birth free of birth trauma because I know that that sets you up for a lifetime of success. So much birth trauma is avoidable and it can actually be avoided in your labor if you do specific things or if you avoid certain things. I want to teach you what those certain things are. We know that you cannot plan out how your birth is going to go, but you absolutely can be prepared. And that means being prepared for anything that comes your way. So inside the birth lounge, I am going to teach you unmedicated childbirth coping mechanisms, but I'm also going to talk to you about medicinal options. I also want you to understand what normal physiological labor looks like so that you know what's normal, but I also want you to understand what's abnormal. So I'm going to teach you the common complications that sometimes pop up or the roadblocks or pivots that people encounter during the birth process. I also am going to teach your partner everything that they need to know to be helpful during labor. And I mean actually be helpful, not just sit on the couch and say, you're doing a great job, babe. I'm going to teach them pain relief strategies, how to advocate for your goals, how to offer you options, and how to truly take care of you in labor so that, again, you can avoid birth trauma. Join the birth lounge at thebirthlounge.com to have an informed labor where you feel confident navigating hospital policy and advocating for your goals. Again, that is thebirthlounge.com. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you next time on the Birth Lounge Podcast. Until then, head over to Instagram and find us at Tranquility by Hehe and give us a follow. You can also check us out at thebirthlounge.com.